Hello, you're listening to the Bonded Books Podcast, where we discuss books, fight over book boyfriends, and the lack of filter is a family trait. If you're lucky, you might even hear one of our dogs barking in the background. Because hey, if we have to deal with them, then so do you. We hope to dazzle you with our discussion while not being hurtful to the authors we feature. Success not guaranteed. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I am excited to talk to you about this book. Oh, good. I'm excited to hear what you have to say. Oh, no. All right. I'll I'll introduce it. How's that? Okay, go ahead. The book we're going to review today is called Stone Hearts, a monster and fae romance, book one in the War of the Underhill series by S.E. Wendell. I really wanted to be like, messing with you and say that's not what we're talking about today oh my god why why would you do that to me after everything i've been through this week (laughs) just to tease you we can't i can't trick you today because we're sharing notes so so you know for sure that's what we're doing oh do you oh good okay but i don't have as many as you because uh well we'll talk about it later but anyway yeah you realize if i have a nervous breakdown i'm gonna end up living in your house with you So you can tend to my needs because I'll be over the edge. So you better make sure that you don't freak me out. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. It's called self-preservation. Okay. So uh, do you want to start talking about this? Okay. I guess before we start, I should comment on the cover because I really like the cover of the books that the author has for the most last couple of her most recent books. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've said before they're done by uh, Beth Gilbert. She has a really cool Instagram account if you go on there, but I really liked it. I thought the cover was very pretty. It's the two main characters. And in this book, the female main character is the one that has the wings. Yeah. So that was cool. And her wings are different. They're not feathery wings. They're more bat-like in appearance. I just really liked the colors and everything about the cover. So the cover is very eye-catching right away. Yeah, I agree. I liked it too. And they talk about what she looks like and how she looks different. So in the prologue, prologue was very short. It was like maybe four paragraphs. Mm -hmm. Talks about how gargoyles are made. Mm -hmm. And it says, from the earth, the druids pulled great stones, carving them into mighty warriors. To give them warmth, the druids offered their own blood. And to give them life, they used ancient magic. From the stones sprang terrible creatures with wings and claws and fangs. As fearsome as the Pritani's ancient enemies, the Fomorians. And they also talk in the prologue about why the gargoyles and the fae are at war with one another. It says, But the magics that gave life to the guardians had been stolen, ripped from the earth, and the fae who imbued it there so long ago, when they were the lords of Albion, 
and the Fae did not suffer thieves. I've never heard this before. I don't know if this is something the author made up, but this was kind of a cool origin story to how gargoyles were made to begin with. Yeah, I thought it was really different too. So I also enjoyed it. So then after the prologue, we get to part one. And chapter one, the time setting for chapter one is 574 AD. And yeah, I, in, I found this all very interesting how this book was set up. I have comments about the setup also, but I will save those until we get later in the story. Okay, then. <laughs> Go ahead. So chapter one, we learn about Karis. That's the female main character. And we learn about the heart song, which is basically the mate bond to the gargoyles. It's very Cinderella-ish the beginning of the story. Karis mm -hmm. uh, wants to go to a mating event called the Gorsed, but her mother tells her no. And her mother's like the evil stepmother. She ends up locking her in a cave and saying some very horrible things to her. Well, the reason her mother does that is because her mother is this well-known, strong female gargoyle. And Karis was born with uh, malformed wings. So she can't fly and it's a great shame to her mother, right? And so her mom wants to like, her mom is horrible. Her mm -hmm. mother wants to hide her away and says, you know, you're, you're not worthy of a mate. You know, they, we shouldn't carry on your deformities onto other young. Her two other sisters have already been mated. So her mom is basically telling her you're sisters have mates they're gonna have children and continue the family line your job is to just stay here and stay hidden and stop shaming me simply by existing yeah since her father has died her mother has been losing her mind her her father was her go-to all the time her, her protector and her mother's whose name is arda's arda yes she yes. has anger issues to say the very least <laughs> they also describe in this chapter about how Karis looks. And this was one of my highlights. Other than her having the malformed wings, mm -hmm. it says that Karis had gotten her mother's coloring, all blushing pinks and golds, the colors of the pink marble their ancestor was carved from centuries ago. I loved that. I could totally picture that. Well, this was really interesting for me because I used to sell stone slat in a slab yard so when they talk about the color normally ranges from a basalt to granite to marble i'm like oh basalt yeah i know exactly what that is <laughs> and you mm -hmm. know i wonder what marble they're talking about that's this pinkish color yeah it's all very interesting and i could see her as a real standout among everybody because she is so they say she has small horns and tiny claws and talons and that she's tiny to begin with so i could picture her running through the forest as she was running to get home to change for this opportunity to find her soulmate which her mother denies her of so karis is able to claw her way out of that cave and she's doing so not so that she can go to the mating event but she's kind of decided she's going to run away from home at this point well did but you say already that her mother locked her in the cave Yes. She, she. Oh, you did? All right. I don't know yeah. where I was, but okay. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Yeah. She wants to run away, but before she does, she wants to visit something called the Old Well. 
Mm-hmm. So then that's how her chapter ends. And then chapter two starts from the male's point of view. And his name is Gavriel. And mm-hmm. he is somewhere called the Underhill. And he can peer through the rifts into the other realms. He thinks about how he's been talking to a mysterious woman through the rifts. And one of the quotes I had was talking about uh, Gavriel and how sort of the underhill happened to them mm-hmm. in another life gavriel had been one of the fairy queen's generals he'd fought beside queen rhiannon lady morgan and his brothers in arms for many mortal years to stem the fomorian incursion a battle his forebears had waged against the vicious creatures from another realm many times and won and I thought that was also kind of weird that now we have Rhiannon and Morrigan in this story and we literally yes! just had them in the other yes! story. What are the odds? I, thought the, I don't know. I thought the exact same thing. I'm like, wait a minute. I think I know a little bit about this. Is it? Are they talking about the same Morgan? I don't know. I don't think so because they don't ever talk about here about how they merge, but mm-hmm. they are still sisters. So I think it's similar, but not exactly the same. So then we also learn about the Fae side of things because Gavriel is a Fae. More about what happened to send them to the Underhill. I had to highlight this because the first time he talks to her the first time the two main characters talk to each other i loved it okay Um, the the quote was you came she said a breathiness to her voice that had him digging his boots further into the dirt i'm yours to command he replied oh Mm -hmm. my god this is the first time they talk to each other in the book and i was all about it they're interaction is very sweet he doesn't know that she's a gargoyle and she doesn't know he's a fae and they're mortal enemies supposedly very uh, romeo and juliet-ish they're talking to each other through the water of the well plus the rift so he can kind of see her a little bit but not Mm -hmm. very well this was another highlight i had from chapter two this is him this is his point of view bruises someone had struck her hard enough to leave proof Something inside him snapped, releasing a sharp, consuming fury, the likes of which he hadn't felt since he last gutted a Fomorian. Sweetling, the endearment fell from his lips without thought or regret. Who did this to you? Her face (laughs) broke in a sob. The dark fury in him howled for her pain, for retribution, for freedom. He needed out to comfort her to destroy whatever did this. Power crackled through him, sizzling in his veins, a strength he hadn't felt in centuries. Oh my God. This is why the who hurt you trope hits every (laughs) single time. Oh my God. Yeah. Every time. I was swooning when I was reading that. I'm like, oh, I just, I love that he calls her sweetling. It's all so tender and loving, I guess. Yeah, I loved it. She does tell him, though, it, it doesn't matter. They don't have power over me anymore. And he guesses and says, it's your mother. He hates her mother. And she says, I'm leaving my mother's house. And he's like, where are you going to go? And she said to her sisters. So I'm not going to be here for a while. That's why she wanted to see him to say goodbye. Yes, her sister is mated in a nearby village. And her sister had offered before to let her come stay with her, right? Yeah. So, so that now she's, she's like, I'm going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So he's heartbroken, but he knows this is best for her to get away from her mother. 
But before they finish talking, he gets called away by somebody to go to a meeting. But so he asks his mystery woman to wait for him. Yeah, I was like, oh, this is okay. I'd be terrified that my mother was going to show up, but all right. Yeah, he's like begs her, please don't leave yet. I'll be as back as soon as I can. So he leaves that conversation and he goes to a meeting with some other Fae. And then this is where we get some really good world building mm-hmm. for this whole setup and kind of what's happening with the Fae. My highlight was in Rhiannon instead, Rhiannon is the queen of the Fae. Titania ruled, but still uncrowned, and her aunt still living. Titania could never harness the true power of the fairy queen. So something had happened to Rhiannon in the last battle, and because they're in the Underhill. So Rhiannon is kind of in this like deep sleep. And it kind of reminded me of the Matrix, where she's like in her little pod area (laughs) where she's like attached. (laughs) She has people guarding her, women guarding her, and while she's in this trance, she's using every power that she has to hold the magic to keep them safe in the Underhill. So she's like almost in a coma. I guess this Tatiana is Morrigan's daughter, so it's the queen's niece. Yes, she's like the interim ruler for now. Right. Yes. But so the meeting's being called because something is changing in the underhill and spaces and some of these tunnels that they have are changing. They're disappearing. Entrances are closing up. And as they do, sometimes the Fae are getting trapped into these areas because the underhill is like a maze that's changing a labyrinth. So they're very concerned about it. Titania. Oh, Titania. uh, There's only two T's. It's very weird. I think it's T-I-T-A-N-I-A, whatever. She declares that she's going to get some more power to fight the Underhill by reclaiming what was stolen. And in order to do so, she does call for a hunt. A hunt is where they leave the Underhill and they go and steal some more power basically from the gargoyles that had taken it. Did it explain already that they were tethered to the Underhill? They can only go for a while? I didn't explain that yet, but yeah, that was kind of a weird thing in the book. They're able to leave the Underhill for short periods of time. And their goal is to get enough magic, isn't it, to bust out of the Underhill? Well, they don't want to be in the Underhill. It's not ideal. Yeah. But I... I think she calls the hunt because I don't know if she's trying to free them from the Underhill completely or if she's just trying to stop the Underhill from changing at this point. Yeah, she that's it. She wants magic. And so they're mm-hmm. going up there to, to get magic from the gargoyles. So this is really bad for Gavriel and his mystery woman because if they do a hunt and they exit the Underhill, she might be harmed. So he rushes off from this meeting to talk to his mystery woman and tell her to run and to hide. Mm-hmm. It's, so, it's so sad. She's like, why? Mm-hmm. She's like, I'm going, you just need to do it. Just run. Up, run. I don't think she realizes right now that he's Faye. She right? doesn't. She just, right. she just knows that she likes him and that they're talking and that they're friendly. So he does tell her to run and he says that the veil is 
Finn on Beltane and that there's the hunt coming. So Karis runs off to warn her people that are all at this mating event about the upcoming attack. But because Karis can't fly, she literally has to run. Mm -hmm. And so she ends up running all night long to try to warn them. In the meantime, we're switching back and forth between her perspective and his. So as she's running to warn the people, the hunt has begun. It like absolutely destroys the gargoyles. And so sad. It was sad because we kind of get most of the destruction, I feel like, from Karis's point of view when she arrives at the mating event and mm-hmm, she sees mm-hmm. what's happened to them. So the scene is like pure devastation. Most of the villagers are stone. Some of them are very visibly dead. Both of her sisters were there. And I think one of her sisters is dead and the other one is stone. Yeah. And as she's looking upon all this devastation, Gavriel appears in the clearing, but she runs off as soon as she sees him. Yeah, because now she's afraid of him. She can see that he's Faye. But, you know, sometimes your mate likes when you run off. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) yeah gavriel looks at her and he feels the instant mate pull so he does give chase he catches her and he hugs her and my quote from this was he just stopped himself from burying his nose between her horns and taking a long draught of her lavender Mm -hmm. and cream and sunshine he shuddered wanting to fill himself up with the scent Mm. oh it's so cute It's very cute. And then um, he does explain to her that the Fae are led by what he calls a cruel female, which is that Titania woman. That she took back the magic that was used to create Karis's kind in order to bolster her own. So that's why all of her village gargoyle friends and relatives are stoned now because the magic was stolen by this cruel female and then he in this chapter he also tells her i lived for when you came to see me i'm gonna totally butcher this but he calls her this several times in the book name for her Phi anwil it never explained what that stood for and i tried to look it up and i couldn't figure it out right after he says that it says my sunlight so maybe that means my sunlight well possibly yeah i i was wondering what that was too but it whatever it was it worked for me at this point he tells her his name because they don't even know each other's names so he tells her i am gavriel but then he thinks to other fey he was gavrin gwynvale only his mother and the goddess dan knew who whispered it to her upon his birth knew his true name there's several books where you can't you're not supposed to tell people your name mm -hmm, because they'll have power over you yes right he knows right away that's his mate so he tells her immediately and it was so sad as they're over here in this wherever they are talking to each other for the first time he literally disappears and slips through her hands because the underhill pulls him away yeah and she's like how am i ever gonna see you again and he tells her if you call me i will come this Mm -hmm. i vow to you it reminded me a lot of Quantum Leap, where he's a popping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that, but okay. I didn't watch Quantum Leap. Oh my god, I used to love that show. I okay. know you did. So Karis goes back to the village. She packs up some of her things, and she basically thinks that she can't stay there anymore because nobody's around. A lot of people are either dead or stoned now. My note here is that the whole chapter is really sad and depressing. Mm -hmm. And the highlight I had from this chapter was Karis would have no dreams 
no mate, no people, nothing but her life. And then, and when winter came, perhaps she wouldn't even have that. That's how I feel about my life. I can relate to oh. this poor girl's. Poor girl's fate. Yep. So it's also interesting that I think Gavriel felt the mate connection immediately, but Karis didn't. Yeah. But, uh, maybe it's because he's Faye and she's a gargoyle, or maybe she was really distracted with everything that she had just witnessed. Regardless, she's just kind of like, I'm just going to live my life and be a wilderness gargoyle now. Yeah. I'm like, isn't anyone else left alive? It's so sad. No. There's no, yeah. there's literally nobody. She was only able to stay alive because her mom was such an evil bitch and locked yeah. her in that cave. Yeah. So her mom actually did her a favor in the long run. Karis does end up settling near a lake, which ends up being fortunate for Gavriel because he is able to see her, but he doesn't speak to her. He's just able to see her. Yeah, and a long, I, long time passes without her knowing that he can see her through the water. So he's really upset that he can't help her or be with her. And so she feels bad because of her situation, but he also feels bad. My quote from this chapter was, Gavriel hadn't defeated the Fomorians. He hadn't protected his people or queen. But by Danu and any other goddess listening, he wouldn't fail his mate. So at some point while Karis is at this new location by the lake, two men appear humans and they attack her but she is able to fight back this was actually a really scary chapter i was like oh god really worried for her oh i was too yeah because she's tiny yeah she's tiny they're you know disgusting men so they're trying to take yeah. advantage of yeah. her but she does manage to get rid of them and then the chapter ends with her or this is what happened i should say just for a moment she wanted to not be alone Karis wiped at her tears and for the first time looked for his face in the lake. For the first time, she said his name, Gavriel. Yeah, I so love he, this. Yeah, so then he comes out of the lake. He appears there. and Yeah, with, with all the drama of the bubbling water and the steam. Yeah. And they're like, what's happening? It's like, if only they knew that's what it could take to get him out of there to see her. Okay, so he is able to heal her. I think she notices him wince or something and he tells her it's faster to just take the wound. I heal quickly. Oh, something had a bone had broken or something. So she says, you took the break yourself. Karis laid her hand gently on his chest, careful not to jostle him. And he covered it with his tangling their fingers. Yes, he replies. But why? Those quick silver eyes sparkled like diamonds in candlelight because it's a mate's do. This is how she realizes that they're mates adorable okay i had a couple highlights from this chapter because at another point he says i don't mean to scare you fi and will but i must tell you the truth i've been drawn to you from the moment you peered down at me through the well i knew why when i saw you across that glen you are cariod my mate my people are blessed by the goddesses with only one and you are mine and my other highlight was, I burn for you, Cariod. He whispered roughly against her lips before claiming them again and devouring her. That's how they kiss for the first time. Uh, you're muted, so I don't know if you're trying to talk to me or not right now. <coughs> Sorry, I had to cough. I forgot to unmute myself. Story of my life. 
okay. yeah i thought that whole section was just swoon worthy and you know she's like how could you want me my wings you know deformed and he he's just head over heels for her oh he loves everything about her that she's got these curves because she's very vivacious mm -hmm. because of all the running she has to do because her wings don't work she's yeah. smaller yes. and yeah. he loves that she's smaller so then he can put his chin on the top of her head he loves how her little horns are he loves everything about her i really liked in this chapter that it was like immediate apology on his side of things and he doesn't waste any time he's just like right away he's like apologizes for everything yeah, because he knows that he's going to have to go back to the underhill again, and he's going to get dragged back there. And he's been, all these things have been in his heart and in his mind for how long while they were unable to speak to each other. So I was swooning, but then he fucking disappears again. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, he has to go back because he's dragged <laughs> into the underhill. But he tells her, I want a life with you, Karis, if you'll have me. And she's like, we we have to figure out a way because they're both in love with each other. And then he kisses her hands before wading into the lake and letting the underhill reclaim him. Mm. I know. Okay, so I liked how at this point he's disappeared on us twice. Yeah. And then he goes kind of above and beyond to figure out how the fuck he can make it so that he's no longer trapped in the underhill and mm -hmm. how he can stay with her for reals. So. At this point, he goes to speak to Rhiannon and kind of take her out of this coma that she's in to figure out how to get out of the underhill so that he can be with his mate. And then this was a good chapter because we learn a lot of important things, I feel like, about the underhill and about kind of what's happening there. We find out that what happened to the Fae was a curse. It says, no matter the size meaning or maliciousness it could be broken not easily but it could be done and she also tells him that the underhill learns but there are forces even it cannot overcome if we're ever to escape the underhill it must be from the outside Rhiannon also tells him soon albion will draw close and the barrier will be ever so weaker She's referring to an event called Sam Hine. So she basically tells him that the Underhill, yes, has a lot of magic and this curse is very strong, but nothing can interfere with a mate bond. So right. because your mate is on the other side, she tells him a carriot on the outside, a creature of Albion magic can act as your tether. So on Sam Hine, break free of the Underhill, complete the mating rites, and bind yourself to her and to Albion. And then she says, I don't think it's coincidence that our people's fates are now intertwined. She gives him a lot of information, but she also tells him a lot of important things he needs to do because she says that this is a heavy burden that they must both bear. But she, Rhiannon, needs him, Gavriel, to return her sister to her. And together they can undo the spell and Titania's curse. And she says, there is hope yet for our people and your Karyad's kin. So he'll be able to get his freedom from the Underhill, but while he's there, he needs to use his freedom to find the sister right. to help everybody. Yes. And apparently that the sister's been in hiding in the same world as Karis for hundreds or thousands of years, I guess. And 
now she now that now that she knows her niece is going power hungry, they're gonna have to do something to break the spell and get everybody free. So they do complete the mating ritual on Sam Hine. I don't have really any notes about that. My only notes are that it's it is not nice. It is not easy to do. <clears throat> but the only real similarity between a usual mate bond forming is that there was biting. <laughs> Then right after they become mates, not right after, excuse me, the next day, Gabrielle wakes up and he thinks that Karis smelled of evergreen and sunshine and just faintly of him and that pleased him too. Mm -hmm. And then oh, one of the, I loved how he kind of talks to her and all his little nicknames for her because during some little frisky times they're having, he says, what a lusty little wench you are. Oh, yeah, I highlighted that, too. They're mated. They do finally have sex. Um, I really liked that they didn't really waste any time. This is basically the next morning after they formed their mate bond. I had to highlight this sentence when he tells her, look at how well you take me. Because oh, yeah. that made me chuckle because they <laughs> mm -hmm. always say that. Yes. I liked how her orgasm is described. This is kind of a weird thing to say. But when she's having an orgasm, it says, Karis saw stars in the afternoon sky. Oh, that yeah. That was kind of a cool way of describing it. Okay, but then after they have sex, they talk about contraception mm -hmm. and how she doesn't really want to have kids right now. And that in her people, gargoyles, can only have children with their mate. And so then, then she's worried. She's like, well, I don't know how it works with Faye, but if you're my mate, and then that means we can have kids and I'm not ready to have kids. He says that he's able to take care of it because he's a Faye and use his magic, I guess, so that he can't impregnate her. That sounds yeah, like something really cool. I wish that could happen in real life. Yeah, like I would trust anybody that told me that in real life. <laughs> yes. Like, yeah, true. I think I'll take care of that myself. Thank you very much. Okay, so then my only other highlight from this chapter was him calling her insatiable wench. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so this is the end of part one of the book. And then now I'm going to stop swooning about the book and kind of complain about part two. <laughs> Yeah, I was so confused about all of this. I've never seen this before. Go ahead. Spill it. I did not like part two. I only liked part two because they have a lot of sex in part two, okay? Yeah. That's the mm -hmm. only thing I really liked about this. Mm -hmm. There were things about it that were interesting, but uh, let me do a very, very brief summary of what happens in part two. So in part two, we have a time, we have time jumps and location changes for every chapter in part two. So chapter one of part two is now the year 658. They're in the location care Gwim, and they have 20 of her gargoyle kin sheltered in this location at this point in time. Chapter two is in the year 1061 and they're in the kingdom of Gwyn Gwynid. Karis is acting as a midwife. They're able to use like cloaking spells. Yeah. And so she now looks like a normal person. She doesn't look like a gargoyle. So she's able to go and interact with people. There's still no sign of Queen Rhiannon's sister Morrigan. Chapter three is in the year 1613. It's in the Republic of Venezia. They're at Carnival and they find one gargoyle in someone's house. 
chapter four is the year 1763 in Shropshire, England. At this point in time, they have 100 of Karis's kin that they're keeping at that Care Gwyn location. And they can't figure out why nobody else has awoken yet. And they think that the bond could perhaps be the answer to Titania's curse, but nothing happened with the guardians put together. Either he was wrong, Gavriel, or mm -hmm. the guardians' mates weren't guardians at all. So now they're trying to think, Oh. They're, getting, they're getting all these gargoyles together. Why are none of them breaking their spells and unlocking their statues? And so now they're thinking, okay, maybe the maybe it's a gargoyle, non-gargoyle situation. So then in chapter five, we're in the year 1816 in Mayfair, London. There, this chapter was kind of fun. Uh, they're playing a game in like a card room. Gavriel gambles one night with his wife if he loses. And if he wins, he will select the statue of his choice from this Lord's house. So of course he wins and he takes the statue, which is a gargoyle. So they're basically part two is them traveling the world. Yeah. Getting gargoyle statues and collecting them back together. Mm -hmm. Chapter six is in the year 1896 in Paris, France. It's a very similar... They're at the theater, the opera. It's very similar to the Phantom of the Opera because the chandelier falls, hits the stage. They use that evacuation of the opera house as the distraction they need to steal one of the gargoyle statues from the opera house. And they are able to go... I guess I should have explained this earlier... Gavriel can travel anywhere in the world that he's seen or been to before. So now they can go further and further using his magic because they can teleport, transport themselves, what have you, from wherever they are back to their home base immediately using his magic. Mm -hmm. Okay, so chapter seven is the year 1945 in Bavaria, Germany. They are both part of the war effort. She's basically a nurse. He's a fighter pilot. But in this chapter, she actually finds her sister. Yeah, statue. you know, I quit. I, I was, I stopped reading the epilogues, I think, when they were at Carnival. Okay. So they do find the sister. And um, Kara says, I thought she'd been destroyed. I'd begun to lose hope. And he tells her, you found her, you've done it, Cariod. We also learned that with this new group, they had almost 200 guardians stored at that Caraguin location. So then chapter eight is actually present day in Wales. After the war, Gavriel had the idea to exhibit the collection of gargoyles they had at a museum or a gallery to draw in humans to see if any of them would spark something, literally anything at this point. They're desperate. His hunt about the mate bond was the first strategy that they'd had in centuries. And Karis says that she was willing to try anything. This chapter, I did, actually had a couple highlights from this chapter because <laughs> he asks her at one point, what are you wearing, Cariod? And she's got, because it's present day, she's got a phone. So she takes the phone to show off her oversized sweater and tight <laughs> leggings. A rumble of pleasure reverberated from his throat. And she responds, leggings are my favorite modern garment. <laughs> 
They are comfy. And they, like I said, they have a lot of sex. I think this was the end of the story, actually. He tells her, uh, you give me hope. And he says, I love you, Carriod. Then the exchange is, and I love you, heart song, always. So the story, the book ends with, if the centuries had taught her nothing else, Karis knew that she could face anything so long as her mate stood beside her. He gave her hope and strength. He was her constant in a changing world, so different from the one she'd once known. She would always try to free their people, but he would always be first in her heart. If they truly couldn't free the guardians and the fae, if their mating truly was an aberration of chance, it wouldn't change anything. Gavriel was nothing like what she'd imagined her mate would be, yet was everything she'd hoped he would be. He was just everything. Yes. And... So the story ends with them not being able to free any of the other gargoyles. They have a plan at this point that they're going to move to California, actually. Oh. Transport all of the gargoyles to this new location and try something different. I actually did not like how the book ended. I was fucking pissed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Why? Put it mildly. You thought there would be a solution? I thought that, like, maybe they would unlock some characters or yeah. one character or something. I was like, okay, so is the next book in the series going to be about them again? Because they're supposed to be changing locations and taking all of the gargoyles with them. Why did you spend all this time and these so many chapters in part two describing about how all of the gargoyles were gathered up together but then not giving us a resolution i just don't really i, I can't really picture where the story's going to go from here we don't we haven't met any other characters so well who, that's true i don't gonna know who's gonna break the the spell i don't I don't know. I, I was really frustrated by part two and how the story ended. I will say one thing about part two that I will give the author a lot of props for. After part two, part two is considered all of an epilogue. It's all considered extended epilogue. Mm -hmm. So after part two ends, the story ends, basically, we get a lot of what the author calls epilogue notes. And if you read through all of these notes, it talks about all of the historical accuracy in the research she put into all of the different chapters and things that actually happened in history that went into her oh, interesting. writing that, that. So that was kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. will give her props. It was pretty cool to kind of be in those historical settings. But I was just so mad. I was like, ah, oh, they didn't free anybody. And the story just ends like with that. Like, ah, oh, God damn it. Oh, actually, after that, she has a glossary of people, places, and Welsh words. And it says, I literally just scrolled to it and saw it. Oh, Fi, Fi and Will means my dear one, my darling. Oh, sweet. I, I guess that's an actual Welsh thing. Huh. Yeah, it's a whole other language. Yeah, there were things reading in here that I was like, is that real or is that? I really liked this book. I I liked it up until the point where I got to all these epilogues. And I was like, <clears throat> excuse me. I was like, what 
in the hell is happening here? Never seen a book with so many epilogues. Yes, I feel exactly the same way. I loved part one, did not love part two. Things I liked about part two was the amount of sex they had. That was very graphic <laughs> and yes. loved mm -hmm. that. Yes. Good for them spending all their time wisely. And I liked seeing how they gathered all of the gargoyles around. Yeah. So but that then, was cool. But then they are mixing it with present day stuff. And I'm like, are they going to bring gargoyles back to life in present day? Apparently. That was another thing that really threw me was that now this it's going to be like an urban fantasy because it's going to be set in present day. Yeah. And I don't like things like that. So in the author's note at the end, she says that stone hearts stands on its own, but starts off a series of interconnected standalones. It also says if it wasn't obvious, things may start happening in the new gallery in San Francisco that carrots and what's his oh. name are going to be doing. And she says the scene is set and changes in the air. I've got plans for another new work for 2023, a new standalone fantasy romance, but hope to return to this fun new PNR world in 2024. So does that mean the book, the follow-up book for this one isn't out yet? Correct. Oh, God. There's nothing out yet for this, for this world, yeah. What would you rate this? I don't know. You go first. Okay, so for this, I would rate it three wet panties because I've, like I said, I really liked part one and the world building is good. The description is good. All of their multitude of sex scenes are good. So I'm only giving it three though because I really did not like part two. There was a lot of things about part two that bugged me. So I would give it three wet panties. But having said all that, I was really conflicted about how the story ended. But I do really like this author. So I would be willing to give the next book a try just try, to see yeah. what happens. Yeah, because I have read books from her before that I really liked. So okay, I'm, I'm going to keep the faith and check out the next book whenever it comes out and see what happens. And it'll be kind of weird to see how the urban fantasy modern setting takes over or um, picks up where they left over. off. Yeah. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I really liked the first part of this book. I instantly was drawn into it, and I really liked it. I think it could have been a great book if in this book, instead of doing all this traveling into the future, they figured out how to break the spell, and they had the reviving of the gargoyles and the freeing of the... I don't know. I just think it if she had just kept it in that scope, but I'm not a writer. I, you know, I am not a writer. So I did love the first part of the book, but because I didn't like really the second part of the book, I probably would agree with you and just do three wet panties because I love them together. But it's like, are you in a fantasy setting back in time or are you in current time? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of weird. Because we have read books that were in current time, like that Kraken book was, you know, current time and it was a great book. It just is a lot to take in. It's like a, a history lesson. Mm -hmm. Part two very much was a history lesson. I don't mind a modern setting. That's fine. So I'm interested to see why, though, why the author would change the setting. There's got to be a reason for it. Yeah, Because it right. is a massive change to 
where the story started. Yes. I, I don't mind them either. I've read plenty of books where, you know, things are happening, but it just was a lot. And I liked the escaping into the fantasy of it all. And I don't know, maybe it was just like being back in school for me. And I never did great in school because I just couldn't care less. But I, I would read the second book. Maybe if we're feeling up to it, we can do a second book episode or at least talk about it at some point on the podcast and let people know yeah. how we feel. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good to me. So what else is new and exciting? What are you reading now? Right now, so I've been reading this for a little while. I'm reading book two in the Crowns of Neaxia duet from Carissa Broadbent, excuse me. And so book two is called The Ashes and the Star-Cursed King. And are you enjoying uh, it? I'm fucking obsessed with it. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, that's uh, that's the best kind of book. Th I think I could have finished this book probably in one day if I was able to have the time to sit down and binge it because it's so fucking good. But at the same time, I'm trying to not read it so quickly because I'm going to be sad when it ends. But, oh, Lord, yes. Um, This book duet actually is the start of a new series world from this author. So that's at least very exciting and very comforting that we'll mm -hmm. see some the side characters and some stuff from her in the future. So I'm reading that. And I actually read the next story that we're going to do. And but otherwise, I'm really not reading much, right? I don't think I've read anything else since we recorded last. Yeah, which is I surprising read, for me. <laughs> that is surprising for you. I mean, I haven't read a lot since the last time just because I have not been feeling well. So I can't read when I, I don't feel good. And I had a massive headache for days. So there's no way I could read while that was happening. But I did start a couple of books and finished a couple of books. So I guess I was reading, but not to the extent I normally would. Right mm -hmm. now, I'm I just started a book. I started the book that we're doing for the next podcast. Uh, but I was a fidgety reader. So I had to find something else. And I thought I could go to the next T.S. Joyce book in my list, which is uh, Tarion Alpha. Okay. But I, mu I must have been really not feeling well because I couldn't even get into that. But I will tell you, I read... And I know exactly what you're saying about not wanting to read too fast because you don't want to be done with it. I was reading the J.R. Ward Lassiter book and I finished that and I was like, oh my God, I love her book so much. And I got the autograph signed hardback copy that I can add to my collection. And I love the book and I tried to slow myself down, <clears throat> but I couldn't. Sometimes it's hard to. Okay, so us talking about the other things that we've read reminds me something I changed when the last episode, Tribe of Midnight, was released. Mm -hmm. In the notes section of episode, I did like I normally do, like things that we talk about, the blurb from the story. And for the first time in the last episode, I actually put in the notes all the other books that we mentioned that oh. we were reading or that we have. Oh, that's read. cool. Yeah. So cool. for, for people that are interested, they can go into the notes now and instead of 
trying to write down what we say the books are, they could check the notes. So I'll do that for this episode as well. Then I also did read, I was kidding, ha, huh, when I said I hadn't really read much because yeah. I also read, <laughs> yeah, I just, I just <laughs> forgot. I forgot. And like I said, I forget the books immediately, right? This is why I put them yes. in Goodreads. I had read a book called Trial of the Sun Queen by, I'm going to totally say her name wrong, so apologies, Nisha Tuli, T-U-L-I. I actually only gave that story two stars. Oh. But I do want to read the next story because I feel like in the... A Court of Thorns and Roses series and the Plated Prisoner series. In those series, you start the series, book one is the female main character and a specific love interest. But then at some point in the stories, the love interest actually ends up switching. So that's similar to what's happening in that book series, The Trial oh. of the Sun Queen. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking I might actually like book two more than I liked book one. But well, you might as well find out, check it out. Yeah, I'm going to read book two. Book two is already out. I just haven't had time to read it yet because I wanted to read that Broadbent story. Mm -hmm. One thing I will say that really fucking bugged me about this book was that it was dual POV, but the female main character's perspective was first person and the male's perspective was third person. Now, oh. that's not very common. <laughs> No, in it's not. Yeah. Stories. I, I've actually read a couple stories lately that were like that, which is really fucking weird. What are the odds? Yeah. Um, because another story that I read that was like that was called The Unsully King's Rebel by Alicia Klafik, where the female was first person and the male was third person. And I read those stories back to back. And they both had that weird changing of POV. I don't know why that authors wrote them like that. It, it was very distracting and weird. Well, I wonder if sometimes people don't even realize that that is not the norm. You know, people don't even <laughs> learn cursive writing anymore, for God's sake. Maybe they don't learn how you're supposed to do things in a certain point of view and carry that point of view through the, through the whole story. I don't know. Like I said, I'm not a writer. I I mean, at least they were consistent. So every time it was the female, it was one. And then if it was the male, it was third. Oh, okay. So they were, they were doing it on purpose. Okay. But I found it really distracting. I mean, some people could probably read it and not find it distracting. I wouldn't even notice. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even notice. It's funny you say that because I actually read one of those stories and I didn't notice until I was at the 60% mark that that's what's what was happening. Oh, that's funny. But then once I did, I couldn't stop noticing every time it switched perspectives and it bucked the shit out of me. I'm sorry. I know that is a pet peeve of yours. It's okay. I, like we've said repeatedly, I pick up on weird shit when yeah, I read. So. Yes. <laughs> you should be an editor in real life. I could if I was better at knowing different rules about English in general. Well, that's why you go to school. I can't I remember things like that. My brain doesn't remember the difference between a noun, a verb, and an adjective. And I'm in my 40s. So oh my I god, think even I, I know better. that. I don't I can't remember the differences and I don't fucking care to remember, which is probably why my brain doesn't remember them because I don't well, care. Yeah, that's mine. If I don't care, I don't know. Ask me the name of an iris or something about an iris and I'll I'll spiel off stuff that 
nobody cares about. But you asked me to remember who I talked to yesterday. I don't know. Anyways, do you want to talk about the next book? Go ahead. I shut my phone, so I don't even have it. Go ahead. Oh, okay. The next story is One Night with a Demon Soldier by A.M. Mm-hmm. Mason. Don't we all wish? Yeah, or am I just so speaking that's... for myself? I don't know. I'm speaking for myself. I mean, maybe. Maybe not, but. <laughs> yeah. And that I <laughs> that's, think that's a new that's author for me. Is that a new author for you? Yes. I had never heard of her before. All right. And or, then or him. One, I'm assuming it's a woman. Him. And then once more, I w- want to mention the Reader's Retreat in Scotland. That's in October of 2023 with yes. Trev is mm-hmm. hosting it. We are sponsoring it. And if you haven't gotten your ticket, please buy a ticket so that we can all meet. It'd be nice to meet some people that actually listen to our podcast or have similar interests. It's always fascinating to me. I was telling Rachel the other day how when people ask me what our podcast is about, I automatically start laughing when I, and I say paranormal romance and it's shocking how many people don't realize what a huge following of people there, there is for that type of literature. They're like, what is there a lot of people that are into that? I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm like, yes. Seriously, I, somebody said to me the other day, she said, well, there are pe- a lot of people that are into vampires. I'm like, yeah, that's just one of many. Yeah, I I like vampires, but, you know. <laughs> Look at Comic-Con, for God's sake. Look at Star Wars. Look at how many people are into that kind of fantasy stuff. There's all kinds of fantasy stuff. Yes. I get it. All right. When you have a reality like this, how could you not like fantasy? Yes, thank you. Hello. <laughs> yeah god so what are you what are you gonna do anything interesting for the rest of the day no i think i'm gonna go watch that show you told me about on netflix i started it and it looks interesting oh yes so that's the the diplomat on netflix and i know her the guy that plays her husband from something else and i can't place him okay i feel the exact same way about him i was thinking of looking him up i'm yeah i'm gonna have to look him up because i'm like there's something about him. I know he's familiar. All right. I'm going to lay on the sofa and try to get warm. Okay. Yeah. Just take it easy. Yeah. Well, all right. Thanks for recording. I, I know you don't feel that well. So. Oh, that's all right. That's why I, I didn't participate as much as I normally do, but I'm just burnt. That's that's recovery okay. mode. Okay, honey. Thank you so much. I can much. just chit chat enough for the both of us for now. So. <laughs> that's fine. That's <laughs> fine. Okay. No problem. Okay. All All right. right. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Bonded Books Podcast. You can rate and review us on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Our email is bondedbookspodcast at gmail.com. And check the show notes for a link to all of our social media. (music) 